Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for putting us in your podcast listening queue this week. Thanks for subscribing. We also hope that you'll follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. We'll often retweet news and opinion articles that relate to some of the things we've talked about in past episodes or that we otherwise find interesting. So you can get that stuff in your Twitter timeline by following us at Next Track Cast. This is episode number 92 of The Next Track. And with this episode, we are starting a somewhat irregular series we're calling How They Listen to Music. And what we want to do is just have a casual chat with a guest about how they listen to music, just to see where it goes. You may already know our inaugural guest in this series, if you listen to or watch his podcasts, which you should. He's the host of the Mac Voices podcast, a good friend of ours, Chuck Joyner. Chuck, it's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm great, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. This is a, a genuine honor. Oh, come on, Chuck. It's not that much of an honor. We've known you for years, and, and we've been on your podcast, and it's it's only fair to have you on it, ours. It's called log rolling. Is that the term? Yeah, we go on his show, and then he comes on our show. Okay. <laughs> We've invited you here not really as a podcaster, but as a music fan. And and you and I have talked on your show many times about music, and you're a, a real music fan, and you've been, you know, listening to music for decades. And as Doug said in the intro, this is the first episode of an irregular series where we want to talk to people about how they listen to music. And we wanted to get an opinion from someone who's not only a music fan, but someone who has a great deal of technical knowledge about computers and who's been using computers for a long time. When was the first time you started listening to music on a computer? Oh, boy. Uh, probably as soon as I got one, as soon as music became available on a computer. Uh, I've, I've, sure, I was, I, was, I was originally the LP generation, then the cassette generation, then moved into the CD generation. Never really was into music when the 8-tracks were popular. So I'm, I'm happy to say I don't quite go quite that far back. Um, but I th obviously, the the iPod and the iTunes Store, I think, was the first time that I really jumped in and said, okay, this makes sense. This is a better way to do it than I've been doing it up to this point. Because up to that point, you were just carrying around a lot of cassettes or maybe CDs. And, and carrying around CDs always made me a little nervous because of the investment you had and one little scratch – and you had a problem. At least with cassettes, you could duplicate them. Sure, you'd lose a little little quality, but if if they stayed in the car too long or some or got chewed up by a tape deck, you didn't lose anything. Broken cases are the best argument for not carrying CDs and cassettes around. I don't know how many broken plastic cassette and CD cases I've had, probably in the back of the trunk now. <laughs> Did you use any Mac software to play music before iTunes? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I mean, sure, there were obviously there were things you could listen to online, but as far as actively listening, um, it just it wasn't convenient before the iPod. So well, it was, but it it was a little bit harder to manage. I used Audion for a while. It's an app that was made by Panic Software. It was a great app, and what I really liked is that you could change the skins on it, so I could change the skin every day, and it would look a little bit different. And it essentially worked by perusing a folder of folders. So you didn't have the kind of metadata that you have in iTunes. You just dump all your files and organize them yourself. But I found that a great way to listen to music on the Mac. And so back around that time, I was working as a freelancer at home, and it was a lot more convenient for me to listen to ripped CDs than it was to actually play the CDs. And that's what really got me into it, the fact that I was working full time 
in front of a computer. But you just said convenience, and I think that's it. Depending on whether you were sitting at a desk at a computer or, in, in my case, at that time, I w had a job that I was on the road a lot. So I had one of those big 50 cassette case uh, things in my passenger seat all the time because I was spending so much time driving, and that definitely eased the drive time. So let's just fast forward to now. How many tracks do you have in your iTunes library? I don't know. I'm not going to embarrass myself, but I did look, and I'll say this, that right now there are a little over 2,000 albums. So 20,000 tracks about. So. That's a pretty good-sized library. Someone at Apple once told me a few years ago that the average iTunes library is around 3,000 tracks, and that's because most people don't buy that much or they'll download a bunch of free singles and they'll have, you know, 3,000 tracks. That's maybe, what, 300 albums at most, which already seems large to me for people who aren't really into music to have that much. But I think what it is is that the people who aren't into music just don't use iTunes, so they don't have an iTunes library to start with. And I think a lot of people are not maybe as, I hate to say obsessive, but uh, obsessive about it maybe the way we are because we've been collecting music for a long time. And I can honestly say there's not a lot of music that – I listen to that I've I've heard people say they outgrow music, and I'm not sure I outgrow much music. It's just if I like it, I like it, and if I don't, I don't. And so that means that if I liked it at some point, the odds are that it's still hiding in my library somewhere. Um, so, and I also know that since the advent of Apple Music, I have not been buying nearly as many CDs as I did because there's no need right. at this point. But I still have plenty of things that were ripped from LP or from CD in my library that you know, I made sure I've gone back and ripped them at the highest possible quality. At, at, to your point, Kirk, Apple Lossless. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's where the music came from. And so unless I'm buying something to to support a band or there's something available at a show, um, I just don't buy CDs. I'm curious about how you came to like Apple Music. We're do you remember maybe five or six years ago when there was a distinct anti-streaming, anti-subscription vibe among music fans? It's like they didn't want to rent their music. That was the that was the expression that they used back then. But and I was kind of in that camp for a little while. But now, like you, I use Apple Music quite frequently. It's not my only source of music, but when I when I want to find something obscure, I usually go to Apple Music first. Not so long ago, I, I was I was skeptical. I was very much with you. Um, it did not, it did not feel right originally. But the thing, more more than that, so many because my tastes run in a particular genre, tend toward hard rock and heavy metal. There were a lot of things that were not in the libraries at that point, and so I felt like okay, if I go this direction, and and also as I recall at the time, there were things that were kind of coming and going from the libraries, that an artist or a particular album would be there, then it wouldn't be there, and. That I really didn't like. If if I if I want it and it's supposed to be in my library, I want it to be there. That seems, at least in the music area, to have gone by the wayside now. That if it's there, it's probably going to stay there. The streaming services have gotten so much better now, I think. They're more complete. They seem more reliable. And probably I've adapted to them as well and, and realized that for what I used to be able to buy a single CD for per month – I now can have virtually an unlimited number of CDs. I can experiment with things that I hear you two talk about on the next track or uh, Michael Butler talk about on the Rock and Roll Geek show and say, yeah, I like that. I'll, I'll add that to my library or eh, not for me. I don't think I will. Yeah, it's definitely different from video, say Netflix or Amazon, 
where there's a windowing strategy and movies are available for a certain amount of time and then they're removed, once music is available for streaming, it generally stays. But it's not always the case. There are still some albums that get pulled. In my iCloud music library, which is my second library, it, it's not the music that I've ripped and all. I keep all that separate from the cloud. I believe I've got about 1,200 tracks that are no longer available. So these are tracks that I've added to my library from Apple Music, which have since been pulled. Now, in some of the cases, I found that it's because there was a newer version of an album, maybe a remastered version, or it's just named a little bit differently, but that's still 1,200 out of about 30,000, which is a lot. Just a brief comment on your musical taste. No one would have picked you as a metalhead looking at you, Chuck. Um, I'll link in the show notes to your podcast page, the, the Mac Voices page, and you'll see a bunch of thumbnails of the videos that Chuck does, and you just don't look like a metalhead. You don't have that Jim Dalrymple beard or anything. No, it, it never worked for me. Uh, but, it, yeah, the music is, was always the important thing. You know, it, it, I don't think it matters what you look like. You can absolutely enjoy that kind of music. Totally. So other than Apple Music, what are your music sources? You've got Apple Music. You've got your own iTunes library. Do you use any other sources? Um, yeah, the one other thing, I guess maybe I should explain a little about how I store my music because uh, we talked about that pre-show. First of all, I, this, this again, this may sound a little obsessive, but I have one library that is just for the things that I own. And, I, and when I say library, I mean a file library, not an iTunes library. So that's where I keep things that if – if iTunes were to do anything that I wouldn't like, like change cover art or anything like that, I can go back to that. So there's that library that sits there. There's a, a second library of unauthorized recordings, bootlegs, live recordings, that kind of thing that are not available on iTunes. And that too I don't keep in iTunes because I don't want iTunes messing with it. The third one, of course, is then the library that is used every day. That's the, the one that's loaded into iTunes um, that then add, things get added from Apple Music into. Um, so it just – I guess I'm, I'm showing you know a little bit of that legacy age thing where I'm, I just want one copy of the music that I know is the way it should be. And then I don't – and I, I haven't had the experience that some people have had with Apple Music messing things up too badly. Once in a while, it'll do something that I, I wish it didn't. And once in a while, it's like, hey, that cover art's not right. But for the most part, it it's fine. Yeah, I've had huge problems over the past, and I don't even want to spend the time anymore to have to fix my library, to fix all the metadata, or even to pull it back from a backup. It's just, it's too much of a hassle. Yeah, yeah. So do you use any other streaming services? No. Well, no, not actively. Didn't um, you used to use Pandora? I use Pandora, and I still enjoy Pandora. I, I, I use the free tier at this point because it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay for multiple streaming services. Pandora, hands down, still has for me the best music discovery uh, algorithms of any of them. Uh, I still like if I start with something, it'll take me off in completely different directions that I really enjoy. But I don't get to do that much of it, and therefore I just couldn't justify continuing to pay for it. And with all the integration that, that I have with the Apple ecosystem, it just made perfect sense to stay, get into Apple Music and stay with Apple Music. You know what's really funny? The things we used to do to keep our music in order, the housekeeping uh, that I thought I liked to do, is now a chore or it's too much trouble. And, and making playlists on Pandora, like you say, it just seems kind of old hat now. And in fact, I've been listening to Pandora less and less myself. So why is that? Why aren't we interacting with our music as much as we used to? And interestingly, the flip side of that token, 
A reason that people may like vinyl and cassettes is because of the heightened interaction required. But yet for us, we don't want to do that. Does part of it have to do, Doug, with the fact that the libraries have gotten so big and we have now access to so much music? Good point. Sure. Before, if you went and bought three albums in a week, at least for me, that was a, a, a big investment. Um, now, I could rip through three albums in an evening to see if I like them or not, and usually don't make it to the to the end if I don't like them. So, But another point is the libraries have gotten big because we're old. And we've had this, we've been buying music for decades, and every time we add more music to the library, we don't get rid of older music. So when my first iTunes library had a few thousand tracks, because I hadn't ripped many CDs, and then over the years I ripped more and more and bought more, you get to the point where your library is just so big that you look at it and think, well, if there's all this to do, then, you know, this will take a year. And it's just not worth the hassle when all we really want to do is enjoy the music. We're experienced, Kirk. We're not old. Well, okay. So <laughs> how do you listen to music? What sort of equipment do you use to listen in different places? Do you listen to a, a full stereo system? Do you listen to small speakers, headphones? What's, what's your listening gear? Okay, so that gets really interesting, especially... Let's, wait, I'm, I'm going to just preface this with what was your listening gear until Friday? <laughs> okay, that's fair. Because, yeah, this is an interesting time. I feel it's a time of transition. Up until now, um, my my beloved Infinity speakers have been boxed up, and I don't really have a formal stereo system anymore. Again, because of the convenience thing, I've I've was listening to principally to Sonos systems to Play Threes um, in my office, uh, a set of Play Ones, and the the sound bar in the living room, um, and a Play One in the bedroom. Um, as far as portable, uh, I have a set of Air Apple AirPods that I've I love mainly because of the convenience. Sure, they're better sounding things, but again, they're they're so convenient I can pop them in anywhere. Um, and actually, in, this seems to always get a chuckle out of out of everyone. But I have um, a JBL Flip Four in the shower because it's in in the shower with me because I have one of those enclosed glass. Uh, like cubicles that you would step into and just blasting music in the bathroom just never comes through but put the the flip four in the shower and you can really enjoy some some quality time with your music that that makes me chuckle indeed because the idea of needing music in the shower i, I don't spend enough time in the shower to really care about music but you know everyone has their own way of doing things judgment free zone indeed well, <laughs> Well, the interesting thing about it is that I find that I feel like I'm wasting time if I'm not absorbing something, whether it's podcasts or music. There's not a lot of silence in my life. Uh. I just don't feel the need for it. So if I can listen to three or four tracks, if that, in the shower, that's three or four tracks I didn't get to hear. Otherwise, I'm just listening to water hiss. So that's But high-resolution water hiss. High res <laughs> si silence is an interesting topic, and I think we'll have to do a show about that. <laughs> Where we could just release an, a half an hour of silence. That should that could be the episode. Yes, we'll 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 call it, we'll call it our John Cage episode. Doug and I occasionally, you know, we do uh, at the end of this podcast, we do our next track picks. This is music that we're listening to and we're planning to listen to. And every once in a while, we're like, oh, I haven't been listening to music for the past couple of weeks. And sometimes we get to the point where we just want silence because that way you better appreciate the music when you come back to it. Interesting. I, maybe I'll try it because I have, I have found that there's so many things that I want to listen to 
they're both new things I want to try and see if I like, but there's so much legacy material that I thoroughly enjoy that I never get enough time to listen to that I, I, I get a little greedy. And it's like, okay, if I, I can get 10 minutes in here of this, or I can get 20 minutes in of listening to the next track or, or, or whatever other podcasts that, that I really I enjoy. Hope- you listen to whole the whole episodes. They're about thirty minutes, or do you speed them up? No, I, well, yeah, I because you don't play music. I do listen to you at about uh, at one and a half speed. Okay, I can, that's I good. Confess. So you can listen to an episode in twenty minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. In episode eighty nine, we had James Jackson Toth, who was a musician and journalist, talking about his idea of listening to just one album a week. And the thing that I was thinking about that, and, and, and an idea that I had for months for an episode, is the difference between. Deep listening and broad listening. In other words, listening to something over and over, like when we were teenagers and we only had a few albums, rather than being a sort of a listening pack rat and trying to listen to everything. It's true that one of the disadvantages of having too much music is that we can listen to more and maybe not get to know the music as much. I would agree, but I I, I think it's the nature of, of the society today. It's that instant gratification that if the first time I listen to a track, it doesn't grab me. I'll move on to something else. Right. And and in and in this episode, I mentioned that I had bought Brian Eno's album NerveNet sometime in the mid-90s. I'd found it used, and I really disliked it. But I kept it since it wasn't streaming. It was a CD I had, and it was in my library. And when I pulled it out some years later, I realized it was 10 years ahead of its time. And that doesn't happen with streaming. You listen to something, you don't like it, you move on. It's as if you never listened to it. Even Apple Music doesn't keep a good record of what you've listened to, so you can't really go back into your recently played playlist and see all the music you listen to because it only shows you what you've listened to to the end of a track or 10 seconds before the end. So anything that you've started and then skipped, it won't show you at all. So you won't even know what you didn't like. Can I, can I just uh, parenthetically interject here? I have an app that you can use on a Mac that lists the Apple music you've been listening to by grabbing that information from the Apple Music Cache folder. It's called View Cached Music, and there'll be a link in the show notes. It doesn't give you a complete history, but you'll see recent stuff that maybe you've forgotten you were needle dropping. Okay. Okay. Close parentheses. So a few minutes ago, I asked you what your listening setup was before last Friday. And apparently that's changed a lot over the... We're recording on Monday. So you've had three days to change your listening habits. Why? Because I got an Apple HomePod. And I got an Apple HomePod, of course, because it's an Apple device and I want to talk about it on Mac Voices. But... I've had something really interesting happen. I have listened to more music in the last three days than I probably have in the last three weeks. And it's strictly because of the ease of access to it, uh, the, the the lack of friction. I can, and I've got to be careful because I don't want to trigger anybody's devices, but I can say, hey, S word, play this. And it plays it. And that's that's literally all I have to do. I don't have to pull out my phone. I don't have to go to iTunes. I just... Tell it what I want to hear, and it and it plays it, and it made things so accessible in the last few days that I I wasn't sure I would keep the HomePod. I obviously again wanted to, to experience it, but now I feel like I will be using that as soon as I walk in the door at night, uh, selecting music and and. What what's interesting, and I know you two have had it happen, is one track reminds you of another, not necessarily even of the same artist, but just of another. So you can start to make new playlists and do different things, all with voice command. And I've I've had really good luck with Siri responding to my voice accurately, 
And so all of a sudden, I, I just feel like my music, my music is my music listening is about to change radically. It is about to change, but I think you're going to see something interesting. It will be like a funnel. Instead of listening to a lot of different music, you'll find you're only listening to a subset of your library because you're only going to be asking Siri to play the music that you can remember. If you heard an album by a certain artist and you can't remember its name, you won't be able to play it. You'll have to go into iTunes or the music app in iOS and, and search on Apple Music to find it. And this to me is one of the problems with Siri, that you can't say, well, what was that album I listened to last Thursday? I'd like to hear it again. That's interesting. You can't, that's right. You don't have access to an analog list of tracks. You, it's like it's like looking at an analog watch and looking at a digital watch. The digital watch tells you what time it is, but an analog watch tells you what time it isn't. And you can't know what songs you aren't thinking of because you're not thinking of them. Right. That's an interesting yeah. point, Kirk. I think that's very interesting. And, and it is an interesting point, and I've had it happen. But if I wanted to bad enough, and I did, I went back to the library, scrolled through, found the artist, found the album. Ah, that's what that track is called. Along the way, though, I probably saw 10 or 20 other tracks that I want to play. So it, it's forcing me almost to go back to my library and, and explore a little bit in a completely different way. That That's an interesting point. So uh, as as most listeners probably know, because they listened to last week's episode about the HomePod, you can either use Siri to control playback, or you can stream from iTunes or from an iOS device using AirPlay. Most of what I've been doing with the HomePod for now is the streaming bit, because I look at my library and I find something. In particular, because Siri isn't really that good in, I don't know, I'm going to take an example. I have a collection of recordings of box cantatas and there are they have names like here's one volume cantatas bwv 22 23 127 and 159 by philip herweg now siri's not going to be very good at being able to play that and i won't be very good at remembering which was the last one i played and and i want to hear a different one now uh, i put an example in an article on my website i have a shakuhachi recording by okuda atsuya it's called the sound of zen i put it in my icloud music library and Siri cannot play Okuda Atsuya. Siri does not know who Okuda Atsuya is. This, his music is not in, in Apple Music. And when I ask to play The Sound of Zen, Siri will say something like, wait, let's try it live. Hold on. Hey, Siri, play The Sound of Zen. Okay, playing Relaxing Zen Track 50. Relaxing Zen Track 50. That is nothing like Okuda Atsuya's album, The Sound of Zen. So the problem for me is that Siri is great if you're playing... Megadeth. Right, Chuck? <laughs> well, it's great if you're playing popular music. It's great if you're playing albums, play the Beatles, you know, Sgt. Pepper or whatever. Play Exile on Main Street. It'll, be, it'll pick up things like that. If you know the name of a playlist on Apple Music, it'll play that. So I've been telling it to play the ECM playlist every now and then. But for the rest of the music, you do end up in a funnel where you can't access it if it's not the most popular stuff or the stuff that you can remember. And we're going to remember less and less. So <laughs> we may end up with just like the same record spinning around for a while. I, I think there's some truth to that. but And I don't do not want to sound like an Apple apologist, but this is a 1.0 product. This is – Siri is not, but HomePod is. And having this kind of constant access – to the music, I think, is a, a bit of a game changer. Because um, I've, I've had those things where uh, my, the example I've, I've used on my show is I told Siri to play Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. And it played Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, but from one of the live albums. And I could not, did not have success saying, 
Hey Siri, whoops. <laughs> Siri, play. Yeah, see, sorry. Um, <laughs> Siri, play, play. Smoke on the water. Here's some Cassie. Pick just for you. Okay. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh. Have you tried asking Siri to play "Smoke on the Water" from I don't know exactly what the name of the album is, but would that work? No, it did. It did not. At least, it, at least not so far. Right. So, you know, I've actually seen Apple Music make mistakes like that. When you go to the streaming, you you think you're getting the version of one song, but you're actually getting something from some crazy anthology or a live album or something. And it's, I, I see it happen sometimes. So I'm not sure if it's the way they're databasing this stuff or the way Siri understands things, or I'm not sure how it works. But there's definitely been some snafus in that department. Yeah, and and that's that again. It's a small thing. I mean, because. Kirk, to your point, if I really want to hear that particular version, I can pull it up on my phone or I can go to iTunes, send it to the HomePod, and that ends up being no more work than I had before to listen to that particular track. Well, there is a bit of friction involved because you get used to this ease of saying, hey, Hal, open the pod bay doors. And when Hal decides not to, then all of a sudden you have to revert back to the way you were doing it before. In other words, there is this transitional period where we're trying to learn how to interact with this stuff and it keeps failing on us it, it failing but again i think if i i have absolute confidence it will get better because these kind of issues will be, become more common and therefore be addressed um but i guess my point was i was exerting that much effort before i would prefer not to have to since the, one of the whole goals of the home pod is to be frictionless but for the moment it's not going to be a make or break and I'm certainly not having any better experience with uh, the Amazon device. Yeah. It's not like there's a great alternative out there. Yeah. So have you tried saying, hey, how play some music? Yes. So that plays your personal radio station. Right. And th this is from your favorites, music you've played, music you purchased, etc. And And I've also tried, hey, how play some Celtic music, play some jazz. And I, I, you know, it, it pops up, yeah. and that's that's what I mean about the frictionless. And I think it will it will encourage me to explore some more some more different kinds of music easier than maybe I have before. So one of the problems I have with that is yesterday I said, "Hey, how play some music?" And it started by playing a random track from a random Glenn Gould album of Bach. Now I don't like to listen to classical music like that, and you know we have the skip when shuffling tag in iTunes that on iTunes and not on iOS anymore will prevent things from coming up when you're in shuffle mode. When I listen to a Beethoven piano sonata, I want to hear the four movements in order. And unfortunately, Siri doesn't do that. Since I have a lot of classical music, since I've bought a lot of classical music from the iTunes store, when I have it play my personal radio station, it's full of classical music, just isolated movements, and I have to keep going next, next, next till it gets to something else. I guess it so much depends. One of the things I've always enjoyed about your show is the tagline, the way people listen to music now. That really speaks to me because the way I listen to it now is not the way I listened to it five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I've, I, you, you made me think about that fact. That it, because for me, obviously, I didn't really pay attention to the fact that it was changing. It just evolved. And so now I appreciate that. And I think that – it's going to continue this way because we have these new devices, these new options. We have access to libraries that as kids God, we would have killed for, you know, and we have it for an incredibly low price. God, 19-year-old me walking through the streets of Queens, New York at night with a pre-Walkman, a Sony portable cassette player before the Walkman, listening to The Cure and Joy Division and UB40 would just be 
in awe thinking of all of this availability of music. I remember being first in the presence of my college radio station's music library and just being blown away by having thousands of record albums in one place, <laughs> far more than anybody would ever own or most people would ever own. And now I have access to virtually everything ever recorded and it's just, well, there's no comparison. Yeah, and, and accessible, and now accessible at basically uh, the, uh, the sound of your voice. Chuck, thanks. This has been really interesting. It is quite interesting to look at this transition and how people have dealt with it. And, uh, you know, again, if we do look back a couple of decades, even before iTunes came out in 2001, things were so different. We're living in a golden age of music access. Let's just hope that this golden age provides enough money so artists can keep making the music that we love so much, because that's a big risk right now. Agreed. Agreed. It's a whole different world for them as well as us. Thanks very much for joining us, Chuck. Yes, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, now we are going to get to our next tracks. Kirk, what are you going to be listening to? My next track this week is something that I started spinning about a week ago that I hadn't heard in years. This is some of the earliest music I bought, actually, back when I was maybe 10 years old. It's Creed and Clearwater Revival. I selected an album called Chronicle, the 20 Greatest Hits. And, you know, it's interesting that a band like this, there's 20 great hits in 67 minutes. They were all relatively short songs. We all know Proud Mary and Bad Moon Rising and Down on the Corner. And I hadn't listened to this in years. I mean, I've, I've memorized some of these songs. I listened to them so many times, like Doot Doot Doot, Looking Out My Back Door. You know, these were just like staples of my music listening. But it just went by the wayside and it was totally forgotten. Listening to this music reminded me that Creedence Clearwater Revival was not just a pop band with catchy tunes, but they were a pretty raucous swamp rock band. Some of the early songs in here, particularly Suzy Q, the first one on the record, there's guitar licks that references the Howlin' Wolf song, Smokestack Lightning. There's heavy-duty blues in here. There's a lot of energy. And, and it's true that this is a band that did have an amazing commercial success for a few years. They didn't last very long. But that their roots are that sort of roadhouse rock and... And, and that down-home southern, you know, pre-Allman Brothers southern blues rock. It was really interesting to listen to, in part because a lot of this is recorded in what I would call the old style, where you've got the vocals on the left and the guitar on the right. But once you get past the first couple of albums, it's extremely well-produced, and, and there's all sorts of great songs. There's even their 11-minute version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which is a classic. So this is Chronicle, the 20 Greatest Hits by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Doug, what are you listening to on your Not A HomePod? You may have heard of Dread Zeppelin. I first heard of this band out of California uh, in the 90s when their songs would pop up on the radio from time to time, but not at the stations I worked at. Dread Zeppelin is ostensibly a reggae band or a ska band that does Led Zeppelin covers and whose lead singer is an Elvis Presley impersonator. He calls himself Tort Elvis. So you can imagine. In fact, I think after hearing one or two songs, you kind of get the joke, which is why I probably dismissed them at the time. I mean, come on, there were a lot better ska bands out at the time, and, you know, Dread Zeppelin seemed kind of goofy. So now that I'm exploring a lot of the music that I didn't spend much time with back in the day, Dread Zeppelin is back on my radar. They recorded a lot of their stuff in the 90s, but the album I'm listening to is called Bar Coda from 2007. Coda, as you may know, is the name of a Led Zeppelin album, and I think you know what a barcode is. So this album is actually pretty good. I mean, it's goofy. 
They do versions of The Ocean, No Woman No Cry, and Suspicious Minds with Led Zeppelin riffs, reggae vibe, and Vegas Elvis vocals, and all the other flavors that come out of this stew of genres, plus the bizarre vocal stylings of Tort Elvis, which are great. Now, I'm not sure I would want to listen to this whole album more than a few times because, well, I'm not a wise guy teenager anymore, and the joke does wear a bit thin, but hearing a Dred Zeppelin song every now and then in a party playlist is exactly what party playlists are made for. Dred Zeppelin, Barcoda, is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.